Welcome to Innovate Online 2020 with Leap. I am Christina Grasco, and today's session is about whether there has ever been a better time to start a law firm. These are interesting times, and whilst COVID-19 is too high a price to pay for any opportunities, there are some silver linings that we can look at now that we are here. And to do this, I'm joined by three very experienced panelists with a wide perspective on the subject. Jarvis Jocelyn is the National Sales Manager for Leap, and he's heavily involved with advising potential LEAP users on how LEAP is the best way of working as a digital firm and managing the new normal that is in front of us. Elliot Hibbert is the founder of Nexalaw, a commercial lawyer by specialism dealing with high-value business acquisition and disposals who has acted for businesses within the UK, Europe and America on commercial contract work. Elliot co-founded Nexalaw in 2014, having seen the way that customers in many other sectors were moving towards a new model of business that broke away from the traditional rigid style of company to a more modern modus operandi that was based on a flexible on-demand approach. Mercedes King-Jones is co-founder and director of Denny King Solicitors, who have been in operation for two years. Commended in the 2018 Legal 500 for her refreshing no-nonsense approach, she is described as a brilliant operator, a lawyer in private practice who enjoys a reputation for her ability to give high quality tailored advice in complex and high value financial disputes arising from divorce. So the thought of setting up a new law firm during a global pandemic may seem irrational and high risk. However, in such a world changing situation as with any global crisis, the winners will be those who adapt the quickest and realize the change rather than resist it. To paraphrase Charles Darwin, it is not the strongest of the species that survive, but rather that which is most adaptable to change. And the motivation of most lawyers generally includes becoming a partner and ultimately running their own firm. So against this backdrop, Jarvis, if I can come to you first and ask this question, what's changed about the practice of law in the last three months? I think it's hard to say the overnight switch to working from home has obviously caused some big shifts for some, especially that were so reliant on paper. Uh, this has been extremely difficult and has meant they've had to frequent their office to pick up client files at times, sometimes breaking the uh, previous lockdown rules to do so. And we've had many stories of this and I'm sure the guest speakers will have some comments. Our focus on the technology side that we've seen shifts with, and the first one being the video meeting forum that we've seen. So the uptake in Zoom and Microsoft Teams meetings more than ever before, uh, where previously obviously it was the norm to meet your solicitor in their offices. Other changes like e-signatures we've seen increasing. So even though technically electronic signatures have been accepted since 2002 in conveyancing, a recent article came out where these transfer was signed via mobile phones earlier this month, which obviously dramatically reduces the time for this process to take place. And rather than things extending out for potentially weeks, waiting for physical documents to arrive in the post, uh, that's almost instantaneous. The other changes are things like online document and client portal systems are coming out. And many firms now offering these services. And as a result, there is a growing expectation from the market and customers, and this provides more insight 
to customers for their legal matters and share documents, correspondence and financials. So the other things we've seen are the adaption really in flexible working patterns, the nine to five schedule being difficult for some working parents, the lack of childcare options available and some lawyers having to take on a different schedule allowing the other half to take on those important meetings through, through the day and then pick up the work in the evening when the day's demands have been dealt with. And uh, lastly, the biggest is really the core requirement for remote working capabilities now being at the heart of operation. So during this time, having the ability to work well from home has made it extremely difficult for some lawyers' jobs, especially in the severe lockdown periods. Uh, So these are some of the biggest changes to the market we've witnessed. Thank you, Mercedes. How about you? What's changed in the last three or four months for you in practice? Well, I would endorse much of what Jarvis has just said in that the most obvious change when we were subjected to lockdown was that everyone had to work from home immediately with virtually no notice. For us, because we are fully digital, all of our systems are in the cloud, we have Lee. It was actually very seamless because we already have laptops which we dock to screens in the office, wireless keyboards, wireless mouse. We we actually did collect um, office chairs and, and screens just to make life a bit more comfortable with dual, we were used to dual screens and so on all staff went home and immediately were up and running straight away the same working day or the next working day the change for us I suppose was talking to our clients remotely uh, via Zoom and video calling and sometimes FaceTiming what we found was that those clients were actually really very receptive to that way of working they seemed to have an appetite for it we made certain assumptions about the sorts of clients that would be prepared to work like that and we were proved wrong generally that actually most Most of our clients, including some of those that we didn't think were very technologically savvy, were more elderly, actually embraced it quite quickly with the help of family members and came to really like it. And they would request Zoom meetings because they enjoyed it. And I think we we ended up having Zoom meetings with clients we probably would have phoned, but they liked the face-to-face contact. So that was that was really good. And the point he picked up about the you know staff working around more flexibly. I mean, we already had a very flexible sort of culture in our office but with people working with young children and and even I mean myself I've got an adult daughter but um, she was home from university and you know we were having six Amazon deliveries a day and uh, the dog was barking every time the delivery man arrived and so you've got yeah you've got all those challenges haven't you of working from home and I think from an employment point of view as as an employer we had to think very carefully about how our staff our staff's mental health how we were supervising them how you make people feel still part of a team when they're sitting on their own at home and the more uh, I suppose you know the serious stuff which is GDPR and data protection which was you know became immediately obvious as a challenge when people are working from home in an environment where they may have the rest of the family locked down with them yes so in some ways everything changed in the last three months but in some ways because of the way that we were set up very little changed because we were able to adapt very quickly Thank you. I think, Elliot, for your setup, you were already working that way in many ways, weren't you? But you will have seen changes yourself. Yeah, I mean, we've got over 50 self-employed consultant lawyers who all operate from home. They can all work from home or work from an office, whatever they, they want to do. We saw quite a few changes, though. I mean, I think a lot of clients, they still want to see people face to face. So what we found was that existing clients were fine. You know, they were fine to have Zoom meetings, team meetings, whatever. 
but forging sort of new client relationships is a bit harder to do remotely. Yeah. So people are still quite desperate to see people face to face. I found this in other industries as well, not just in law. So speaking to IFAs, they say you can display your product to people, but to get them to actually commit and purchase it without seeing someone face to face is difficult. So we've found with our business that we've looked at, we've still got leasehold premises in London and in, in Shropshire. And we decided that, you know, perhaps we don't need so much of the office space. Perhaps we need more of what we call our communal space, which is meaning all of the lawyers can have access to offices and access to communal areas to meet clients, um, but they don't necessarily need to be in the office. I've got a lot of sympathy for traditional law firms. It's, it's got to have hit a lot harder than it has, has hit us. If you think of the big, the big law firms with thousands of employees, massive offices, it must be a real logistical challenge, whereas you know, we set up the polar opposite of that. So if you think of a magic circle firm at one end and us at the other end, you know, we're as digital as can be, really. So it has an, it has an impact to this in that way. But we have seen, we saw a drop in revenues April, May, June, as I expect almost every other law firm has, because as digital as you are and able to operate, if the transactions aren't taking place, then you're not going to bill any money. So um, it's been challenging for us. We've had to adapt with taking people on as well because we normally have a face-to-face day induction. You know, we get to know people, go through the system, set them up on leap, set them up with all the Office 365, practical law, etc. But we've now managed to get that done remotely. So it's sort of improved us in a way because it gives us more flexibility to take lawyers on because we've now got that process that we didn't have before. And Leap's been really good. Leap with InfraTrack, obviously embedded within the system, has meant that we've been able to do things like the electronic signature straight away. And we are paperless as well, which which does help with the, the GDPR issues and the data protection. I don't know how the traditional law firms are coping where they've got each lawyer's got five cabinets full of files. How, how they got around that problem, you know, it's got to be tough. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, speaking to to some lawyers who are in offices like that, I mean, it seems that they've had a core of secretarial staff going in who've basically scanned everything and sent it out. But yeah, it's of course, that slows everything down. And I think that's the difference, isn't it, is if you're fully digital, everything's very quick and responsive but traditional law firms are, are much slower in, in that respect it does it does have other challenges when you've got transactions on with the traditional law firms as well because you're geared up to do something yes. and you can facilitate getting something done but some of the traditional law firms obviously couldn't get into their buildings they couldn't get hold of their files so it did delay some transactions that may have taken place due to the way that they're set up which is yes. no fault of their own because nobody could have predicted coronavirus and how it was going to impact everything. Yeah. We had the same experience. My business partner is, a, is an agricultural property lawyer and she had transactions which were we could proceed with, but they, they couldn't proceed because the lawyers on the other side had issues over getting the office or getting the documents from the office mm. or getting documents out to their clients, which slowed things down. Interestingly, we had some new work come in at that point because we had some inquiries from people saying, I've rung other law firms and they're just not getting back to me. They're either aren't got out of office or that, this was right at the beginning when everything 
shut down and I think some traditional law firms sort of went into shock before they got their act together. The point you made about the, uh, the recruitment opportunities was quite an interesting one because we did the same thing in that we decided that we'd always wanted to add in a private client element to our business because I do family and my business partner does property so it sits very nicely but we hadn't done that before the lockdown and we started getting um, private client inquiries so we we went out to the market but we didn't restrict ourselves geographically and we did all of the interviews over zoom and we recruited we're based in rural Worcestershire and we recruited a lady who's based down in Surrey and she's been working for us throughout the lockdown you know she was trained as you say remotely on leap 365 given access you know to all our systems because that we would have never done that in other circumstances because it wouldn't have occurred to us to go out and broaden our recruitment in that way and you may have a much better quality candidate due to the fact you spread your net so wide yes. instead of saying, well, they have to be within, you know, commuting yes. distance of Worcester. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a very, you know, it's a very small pool if you're only recruiting in your geographical location. Yeah. So, and we've always taken work outside of our geographical location, but we haven't really recruited staff in that way. So, that, yeah, I, I would agree with you that, that that's something quite different and, and good. And it's an opportunity, a real opportunity. You know, my next question to you is going, do you think, market conditions have become more favorable for new and developing firms and actually you're starting to give me that answer already aren't you because about five or ten years of cultural change within the legal profession has all happened in about three months in Not sharp shock <laughs> and you know how much lawyers love change <laughs> how adaptable we all are <laughs> lawyers actually are very good at change within their legal work in fact yes. Of their primary skills and I find it quite interesting sometimes that they then say that they're not very good at change within the business context. To this question, can I start with you Jarvis from where you're sitting before I go to Elliot and Mercedes? Market conditions appear to be becoming more favourable for new and developing law firms. I suspect that's what you're hearing as well in some of the conversations that you're having. Yeah certainly so we actually see that reflected in the numbers as well. So in terms of inquiries, uh, something that obviously we monitor, we have uh, available on our website a get started checklist, which goes through the top 10 steps, thinking about what's involved with starting a firm and preparing and going through that process. Last week alone, we had nine inquiries for that brochure, which accounted for about 60% of all of our inquiries. Those kinds of numbers we haven't seen before, and it really goes to show how many are considering that as an option for themselves. I think during this time, it's, it's really kind of given people a bit more perspective and a bit more time to think. And there's other conditions as well. So things like the interest rates for loans are at an all-time low. So you don't necessarily need uh, a big pot to, to get going. The expense of setting up a high street presence has, has shifted. You know, it's not necessarily that you, you have to have that. Startups don't need to endure that, that cost. As we were discussing before, you know, startups and, and growing firms who have invested that time to put into their infrastructure and, and their technology, a huge advantage to those that haven't and uh, may not have invested in that area at all. And obviously, you know, that's really been exposed recently. But the points you made about attracting staff as well. So obviously a lot of large law firms, there have been a lot of redundancies recently. So there's a whole pool out there of skilled workers where previously there might have been a bit more of a challenge to find good people to be part of your, your organisation. So I think all of these contribute massively to that favourable environment that we're in now. Elliot? I agree in many respects. It probably is as good a time 
to uh, set up a law firm. You know, the systems have never been as easy to implement. Even going back a few years ago to when I started, they were a lot slicker. It depends what type of law firm you've set up as to how complicated it will be. I mean, if, if you want to just set up a partnership or a sole practitioner, um, it's dead easy. But if you want to have a more complicated structure, an ABS like we are, the process is a lot more complicated and time consuming. You can't just do it overnight, unfortunately. And it's a little bit more costly. You know, I'd never tell anybody not to set up a law firm. And if you've, you've got the skills to do it, then definitely go ahead and do it. I mean, the way I see the market going, I could be completely wrong. There'll still be the huge law firms, the big boys, you know, the Clifford Chances, the Linklaters, Freshfields, they'll still be there. But I can see a lot of high streets and smaller middle tier firms struggling. And I think there might be a lot more niche firms created. I feel like Mercedes, you know, she's got a, a niche practice, which means that there'll be more small outfits specialising in particular areas. So I think if you look at a, a small to medium firm, they might have six or seven disciplines they focus on. If one of those disciplines gets into trouble, the rest of the firm has to try and make up the difference. So we saw it with personal injury recently. We see it when conveyancing drops, that the rest of the firm begins to struggle. So if you break each element off and have individual niche practices, they're a lot more easy to control. Obviously, the big elephant in the room at the moment is, is obviously the economy as a problem to setting up a law firm. I don't think we can ignore it. I think we've been shielded a little bit by furlough. I think if you look at professional services, most professional service firms have three or four months of work to do. So when COVID hits, we call it March, they'll have April, May, June, maybe July work to finish off. But that doesn't stop the fact that in that period of time, if you haven't taken on the same level of instructions and you're storing up financial problems, if you haven't paid your VAT liability, if you haven't paid your PAYE, a lot of firms are going to feel the pinch Christmas time, perhaps even a bit later on. You just need to be aware of the economy. There's not loads of legal work flying around at the moment due to COVID. But if you've got a specialism and if you're niche and you offer something slightly different, then I'd say, yeah, definitely go ahead and get started. Yeah, I would absolutely endorse that. I think the high street firms that have got heavy overheads in terms of high staff costs, they've got high premises costs, none of that can be easily reduced. I mean, obviously, furlough scheme help. And they are largely reliant, many of them, on local work, geographically local work. The opportunity, I think, for new startups is new startups tend to go niche. I remember partners meeting in a previous firm I worked at where the mantra was you go big or go niche. And that was probably 10 years ago that was going to be the future of law firms and I think it probably has come to fruition because the big firms can weather the storm and the thing about niche firms is that you are not reliant on your local geographical area if you are known for doing a certain sort of work so I, I have a profile for doing farming divorce work which is particularly complex and I train other lawyers in it through um, MBL and through our own training arm of our firm but it's a very niche area um, and my partner's an agricultural property lawyer very niche and together actually that means that we pick up work nationally so we might pick up work in Sheffield or Cornwall or, or wherever but I think that the clients now see the benefit of going and finding a lawyer who has an expertise in the particular area that they're looking for the advice and not just looking at whoever is the biggest firm or the most well-known firm in their local high street or in the next big town or, or city so yeah I agree with that and I always say to people when they ask me should I set up a law firm I always think a good idea is to before you do if you're going to do it 
an individual is to carefully plan over a period of time and perhaps take a look at the transactions that you've worked on and how you've been involved in those. Were you the person that got the lead? Were you the person who formed the relationship? And over 12 months, you can quite easily roughly work out what your fee income or your following is. So instead of doing it without thinking about it and then suddenly realizing that all the firms were strongly linked, all the clients are strongly linked to the firm, you can take a bit of time and work out what your potential fee income could be over a period of time. And you know, you've got, got to prepare. I mean, it's not an easy thing to set a law firm up and got to set the time aside to prepare, do the business plan, get the funding in place, make sure you take advice on the structure of the firm. And also take advice from professionals as to accountants, bankers, everything you need to look at. So don't rush it and make sure you've ticked all the boxes before you um, open the doors. Because because once you have opened the doors and once you've got the approval, it's not that easy to get out of it. (laughs) You've got run-off insurance (laughs) and things like that. So you need to be a bit careful before doing it in a rush decision. Yeah, I would absolutely endorse that. Yeah, And I think sitting alongside that, you need to have a really careful think about what your law firm looks like. Is it a one-man band operating on a laptop out of your study? Or is it somewhere that has premises? And if so, where should they be? And what is the function of those? Like you said, is that a communal area for people to get together and maybe have some training or meet clients? Or are you looking at a, a traditional office? How big do you think this is going to be? Are you going to employ staff? Because of course, there are many different shapes of a law firm you know how you set up will make a big difference and you have things to weigh in the balance one of the things we learned very early on was having both been partners in large firms you know we had had HR and IT and admin and you know facilities and all those things and when you set up on your own suddenly those become your responsibility and if you also are the person that's going to bring in the fees well there's just not enough hours in the day to be the HR manager the IT director the financial director and the fee earner so you then have to think about as Elliot said where's your skill set where do you sit what's your strength in this business are you going to be the marketeer are you going to be the client relationship manager are you churning the fees do you have time to do the other things and be really honest with yourself because if you know that you haven't got the skill set to do something get somebody else in to do it that that has got that skill set we had an accountant very heavily involved at the beginning in helping us do our business plan or set out our business plan and costings but she also acts as our financial director and she sits on, on our board meetings on a monthly basis as well because we recognise that that was something that we wanted to pull in and similarly we have some HR consultancy help and, and so on so we were able to to be honest with ourselves that you you can't do everything and if unless you want to work 24-7 you can't do everything and yet you are responsible for everything so you have a responsibility I think the advice Elliot said which is take time to plan is actually a really good piece of advice because I think it takes what you think is your vision actually over a period of time may change quite substantially once you've got the figures in front of you and you reality test it and you look at it and you might say well we don't want staff because that's a whole load of headache and then you look at it and think well actually in order to scale this business and to make a profit and to cover all of these expenses the reality is we're going to have to have other people employed to do fee earning work and then that might alter your model. There's a remarkable amount of admin that you don't think about on day one Uh, there's uh, client account reconciliations there's money laundering compliance there's id requirements there's having to have the money laundering officer and to have the cult the coffer having to comply with the sra regulations transparency rules yeah there's always something new that needs to be done so if you are going to get a loan 
just factor in that doesn't mean that you're just going to be doing client work. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done in the background, which is if somebody's talking to me and say, I want to set up a law firm, you say, well, have you thought about the alternatives, like going into partnership with somebody else, getting a group of people together or working with a firm like Nexa where you're effectively running your own practice, but without any of the admin burden and headache. There's lots of different options for people. Starting up their own practice is one, but there are lots of other ways, alternatives to just working within the traditional law firm now, which is great. Some of those things, yeah. talking about the admin, the coffer, the money laundering, all the rest of it, how much of that slack can be taken up by having a good digital system? The, the file opening, it definitely helps with, and the ongoing monitoring during the, the life cycle of a file. Um, you know, things like the calendar, you know, you can put a date in, it'll flag things up to you. Infotrack does the AML searches. You can do international AML searches. You can do file reviews through the system and things like that. That helps, but there is a lot, still a lot outside of that you can do client account reconciliations through zero and through leap which is good but you need to have fairly good it um, accountancy skills to be able to do that it, it does help but just bear in mind there are there's still stuff that needs to be done that falls outside of that what we find is that there's a lot of organizations there to help as well so quite commonly we see like for example with the reconciliation bits the actual day-to-day posting there's lots of external consultancy typed groups where they could you can pay per posting which is like two pounds of posting so they can just take care of that section but also there's groups like as i'm sure you're probably aware the self practitioners group that have a whole array and abundance of resources available and a whole support network to help people get off the ground and get started and not feel like they're alone i think that's one of the concerns that we often hear about is the isolation that it could potentially bring starting up practice by oneself but there are there are lots of uh, resources and things out there to, to help and like christina said at the beginning i think it is the dream for most lawyers to start and have their own name on the wall and that's great and that's not the case is that there's other options as well there's a lot of people going into that now and as you can see by our numbers we're seeing a lot of it and we can help with professional indemnity insurance quotes and things like that which really makes a big difference you know in terms of what has been involved previously i think it is getting easier if you compare it historically which is a nice thing to see the thing about the LEAP system is that it's actually quite hard to breach the rules <laughs> when you're operating uh, within LEAP. It doesn't mean to say you can't do it, but the, the system takes you through the logical steps and has inbuilt checks and balances and will ask you and check with you and stop you from doing things if you go to make a mistake. I think it does definitely help with compliance because it is all integrated and it is you know, very user-friendly. But I think, as Elliot said, you know, the reality reality of this is that there is an awful lot of non-fee-earning work to be done when you set up your own law firm. There is no getting away from it and you have to build that in. And if you're going to build a plan, the mistake I think people make is thinking, well, I'll stop working in my day job on, on that day and I'll take you know, short break and I'll start on that day and then I shall be billing this many hours at this hourly rate. And the reality is you won't because you've got to do all of those other functions as well and you have to build that in. And I think um, one of the attractions of the sort of setup that Elliot's got is that it does move away from that loneliness, you know, that feeling of being on your own. And I think that is something that is experienced. And certainly my business partner and I frequently say to each other, we have absolutely no regrets. It's been a brilliant decision. However, neither of us would have ever done this on our own. We just couldn't have done it alone i think anyone planning to do it go it alone should think very very carefully about that because with all of these things that you've got to consider i mean Elliot did a lovely checklist of all of the things that keep us awake at night um but 
at least when you go into business with somebody else, you can share the responsibilities and you can share the skill sets as well. For us, we can say, well, one of us is better at marketing and one of us is better at IT and one of us is better at finance. And you can split out those things and share that in our model as you can in the sort of the Nexa law sort of model as well. I think that's really important because otherwise it can be a lonely place to be. And the isolation one's an interesting point because something I've noticed is that every lawyer is completely different. You'll find that you'll get some really gregarious characters who really want to integrate. They want to communicate, they want to speak to you, they want to speak to all the other lawyers. But you might get someone on the complete other end of the spectrum that just wants to get on with their job and they want to be left alone (laughs) and they don't want to talk to anybody. (laughs) One of the challenges we have is trying to foster like a collegiate atmosphere amongst all the lawyers and try and give them the opportunities, but not to force people. I I never want to be in a position where I'm saying to someone, oh, you take part in this or you, you come and meet us here. You've got to let them sort of manage that part of the relationship with us. And it is an ongoing challenge where we think, oh, should we be organising an event? Or, and then, you know, some people will be like, yeah, brilliant. But others ones will just ignore it. So everyone deals with it. Yeah, <laughs> I know it is. I mean, everyone deals with it completely differently, don't they? You know, you just get some lawyers that their head's down. They want to bill as much as they can and they want to go home. But then you'll get the other ones that really enjoy the working on matters in teams. So we get a lot of lawyers that team up and they want assistance or they'll farm a bit of the work out somebody else. And they really enjoy that way of working. But it's just everyone's different. You can't sort of have one rule fits all. One of the questions I'm interested in is how much clients have changed. There's quite a cohort now of clients who want something different. They're well used to buying online. They expect to be able to do this online. They don't actually need to see a high street firm of solicitors, coupled with the fact that they do expect whoever they deal with to be very tech-based, to be a proper digital law firm. And all the efficiencies that come from that, you know, they don't expect to ring up a firm of solicitors and, and there's a delay while they find the file and they try and get an update and, 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 and. Is this matching your expectations? Can I start with you, Elliot? What they want to do, and I think this is probably why Mercedes is doing well as well, is they want to deal with the person doing the job. They want to deal with the person they've had acting for them in the past, and they don't want to be passed down the food chain, and they do whatever it takes to get their lawyer to act for them and to represent them. So if it means that, you know, sorry, it's going to have to be a a team's call, you know, we can't meet in person, I found that they're fine with it as long as they're dealing with the individual and as long as you're communicating with that individual as well. So it's communication, putting systems in place and giving people the access to the lawyer. I was thinking about this this morning, quite quite a strange situation we have. If you're in a traditional law firm, you you, you qualify, you're in a big firm and you have to act for whoever the partner tells you to act for. So you might not like that client that you're acting for, but you still have to do it. Whereas we find with our model and um, if you run your own firm as well, you can be more selective about who you act for. So you can actually have your own clients. So clients that you want to do work for, which means that you've got happier lawyers and you end up having happier clients as well because the relationship is so much more productive. Entirely agree. I think that's one of the really liberal 
liberating things about being in control of your own destiny, which always makes people much happier, is that you can select the sort of clients you want to act for and you can build your business model around that and you can choose the clients that you that you take on or not, if as the case may be. And you're absolutely right. You know, if the relationship doesn't work, it's doomed from the start and uh, you, it's always going to lead to dissatisfied clients. It may just be a mismatch in expectations or communication style or whatever it might be but ultimately it always pretty much leads to an unhappy client and that doesn't benefit anybody and what I think happens probably in most firms of the sort we're talking about is that the business model tends to lend itself to higher value lower volume work it's more niche more specialist lower volume higher value and what that means is that actually you have more quality client contact you have many more touch points with your client you build a relationship you have lots of good communication with them you're accessible which is what Elliot was talking about you know you have an accessible lawyer and we all know how many complaints come out of traditional law firms because people just can't get hold of their lawyer they can't speak to them even if there's nothing to report they still want to be able to get hold of somebody and they want to talk to the person that they built that relationship with and that's much easier in this sort of business model yeah, and again, being a digital law firm as well, or being an online law firm or new model law firm, niche, owner managed, not all of our lawyers, but some of our lawyers have, have sort of said that they want to be 24-7. So they want their client to be able to access them at, at any point because they want to get the job done. You know, they get on well with the client and that fosters such a better relationship with the client. The fact that they will pick up an email there's still firms where it comes to five o'clock, the desktop's shut down, no access to emails, and the client's got no way of speaking to the lawyer until nine o'clock the next morning, which suits the lawyer, but it doesn't necessarily suit the client. No. And that can lead to tension and, um, and complaints. I mean, touch wood, four years in, we haven't had a, any complaints, which I think is remarkable. I mean, I've worked at firms where it's almost a daily occurrence, you know, getting some form of niggle or somebody angry, somebody distressed or whatever. So it's all different dynamics, isn't it? Yeah, and you're right. And whilst you could say, well, you know, you don't want to be accessible 24-7, the reality is that if you want a flexible business model and you want, as we did, to work flexibly and get a better work-life balance, that works both ways. You know, I don't work from nine till five and I'm not in the office between nine and five. I choose my hours, but equally I'm available to my clients when they need me. And the Leap phone app is brilliant for that as well because you can easily pick up your emails on your phone app and you're able to decide what urgent what's not and get hold of you and of course you can time record everything on it as well as you're going along so it doesn't matter where you are that makes life easier as well yeah the 24 7 thing again it's, it's purely up to the individual isn't it some some lawyers are 100 comfortable with that some of them will say well I don't, I don't really want that the way that we operate is you know it's all about you know love law love life isn't it you're learning that you know you, you can still love being a lawyer yes. but you still have a life at the same time so yes. It might, might be that someone's got a rainy Sunday afternoon, but the systems are there for them to get on and do what they want to do. And they might yeah. take the Monday and the Tuesday off. Exactly. They might have something better to do when the sun's shining. So it's giving people that flexibility. And that's what I think most people, a lot of people strive for when they set up their own firm, is to be able to work you know, when, they, when they want to work, how much work they want to take on, and, who, and what clients they want to take on as well. I think it's fair to say that there's especially with the younger crowd now, there's not necessarily such a, a 
a need to constantly interact with, with the law as well. As long as they're kept in the loop, like like we said, then they're quite happy. And there's different ways that you can do that. And, and some of the common trends we're seeing are these kind of portals and things emerging where at any point out of hours, a client of a law firm can, can log in to their portal and see what's going on, check up on you know, the latest documents that have been produced, if it's something they need to see, see what kind of the, where the financials are sitting, if they want to pay bills online, those sorts of things rather than have to call during a nine to five schedule and try and get someone on the phone to you know, punch in their, their card numbers. All of these kinds of things all change the experience. And you know, in other industries, this is just so normal. And law is really, I think, catching up from that sense. So there's a growing expectation for that to be the norm. And we'll see, you know, the firms that are jumping on with that are able to meet that expectation and then deliver a higher level of service and obviously then get that great reputation and natural organic referral network going because in the way that they do business, how they serve their clients. The scary thing is, Christine, up until maybe 10 years ago, something like that, there wasn't much of an alternative for clients. It used to be pretty much you went to the additional law firm, you went to the office, you saw the lawyer in their office. I can remember sort of challenging that as a trainee and going into the senior file and saying, why do they have to come and see us? Why can't I go and actually see their premises? Clients actually want you to take the time to go and see their premises because actually often quite proud of their business and their yeah. premises and they want to show it off. And there's no way, better way of getting to know a client than actually being on, on their turf. It was sort of a bit frowned upon at the time. And it seems really odd to me. What other industry do you insist on them sort of coming in and sitting at your desk? And yeah, it just seemed really bizarre. Whereas now there are alternatives. And I think clients, as you say, young clients as well, or entrepreneurs, startup, you know, they're looking online and they're, they'll often Google virtual law firm. Sometimes they're not so comfortable going into a big, shiny office. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think traditionally, you know, the client was expected to work around the model that the lawyer had decided was the right model. And mm. now clients are saying, well, actually, how will you work with me? What have you got to offer me? And the balance has shifted and quite rightly so, I think. I can identify with what Elliot said there because when I do farming work, of course, we go out and see the farm. We visit the farm. We do a site visit. We go and walk the farm. You know, mm. getting farmers to come into a town and park and come into the office is absolutely nuts you've got to be able to be flexible and also they don't work nine to five you know it works around harvesting and milking and so it would be madness to say well you know you can come and see me between nine and five Monday to Friday because that's not the way that their businesses are structured or their lives are structured so yeah you've got to be adaptable and if you don't then you're not going to appeal to those clients. Can you give us what you think would be the top three things you advise somebody who's thinking about starting a law firm to think about when making the decision, the three things that are most important to focus that decision? First one, definitely business plan. Make a detailed business plan, setting out what the practice is, where the practice is going to go and what you want the practice to look like and, and in look at it in five years' time and say, you know, is it going to be just me? Is it going to be me and five partners is it going to be me and 30 staff you know really get the business plan right second would be take professional advice so take advice from we took advice from a sra specialist consultant about setting up as an abs because our structure is slightly different and you know it, it did cost cost us money but it meant that we got everything done correctly and in a timely manner so don't be afraid to take advice and the third one would be looking at systems and the infrastructure of the firm so you know making sure that everything's ready for when you start i mean i was fortunate 
that I had a period of time where I could get the firm set up properly and take the time to get systems in place. You know, it probably took nine months before I actually opened the door doing what we wanted to do. We, we, we traded as an entity for a period of time, but it was until we actually went to market and said, look, okay, we're ready to take on lawyers with systems and infrastructure in place. So yeah, making sure that you've got all the systems before you open up the doors, because you don't want to be having clients and you've not got your client account in place or you've not got your anti-money laundering in place or your leak case management in place. Make sure you do that before you actually open the door. Entirely agree with the with everything that Elliot has said. I mean, I think those things have come out as we've been talking anyway. The importance of getting professional advice early on, it cannot be understated. You know, we are lawyers at the end of the day. And unless you run a business before, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you will soon find out what you don't know if you don't take professional advice. I mean, the business plan is key. And it, it sounds like a cliche, you know, a SWOT analysis, opportunities, threats, strengths, weaknesses. It's key. It's absolutely key. But it has to be costed. We did one and then we took it to an account a trusted accountant who then took it apart and reality tested every part of it and we put it back together and made it realistic because what we as lawyers were looking at is not necessarily what she as a an experienced accountant advising us was able to she was able to give us so much more useful advice and make it so much more realistic and robust and predict expenditure we've not even thought about so that was really important for us and I think holding yourself to account on the business plan is really important it's something we've learned we fairly quickly went off piste if you, because other opportunities came up and things ended up being slightly different to how we'd originally imagined. But we have a regular board meeting and we always go back to the plan. It's a roadmap. So we know, even if we take a detour, we still know where we started and where we're trying to get to. And we can see where we've taken the detour and it gives us a sense of control. We know where we are, we know where we're going. And then you can confidently make those other decisions. So if an opportunity presents itself, we had a recent opportunity presented itself to us which wasn't in the business plan but you're able then to go back to the business plan test it look at it see what impact it would have factor it in and then project forward and, and you need to be doing that all of the time I think you can't do it on a wing and a prayer you've been a good lawyer is not good enough to run your own firm you've got to have all of those other you've got to have sound foundations I think what Elliot was talking about there you know take your time and make sure everything's in place because you're going to you're building a structure and you've got to have solid foundations Thank you, Jarvis. What would be your, from where you're standing, your top three? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the business plan, obviously a big part of that business plan is which areas of law are you going to focus on? Obviously, being more niche and specialism is always the, the best route because you can stand out in terms of what, what you do and how, how you excel and the services you provide. And that really feeds into like, the second one being, you know, how are you going to attract clients? And you know, having a good website is key uh, with good search engine optimization. It will give you that competitive advantage, especially over, you know, we see it sometimes that firms don't even have a website. It's all just completely local word of mouth. And obviously that is not going to last forever. The fact is we live in a virtual world now. So having that in place and doing things like we're doing now, obviously, you know, online articles, talking about what you do and, and how you do it. Putting the content together for your website is also quite a good way to put your business plan together because you really have to describe yourself and the services you're going to provide as accurately and as appealingly as you can. And that's going to all make sense on paper. And if you can do that and articulate that well, then obviously you've got quite a solid business plan and quite a compelling reason for people to choose you. And the fact is that doesn't necessarily have to cost a fortune like you said there are lots of experts in those fields that can help you and if you do a little bit of research you can actually 
get some really good rates for that work and other things like marketing yourself online producing articles and things like that again what, what expose you as being the expert it's all going to feed into that whole client attraction and i think we, we hit the point on the last one having the right infrastructure in place so you know having the right software in place because that again is a huge advantage using a cloud system which not every firm is is on still allows you to work from anywhere you know, even you know if you want to take a, a long long chunk of leave and you want to work from the beach it gives you that ability to do so quite easily and also you do reduce overheads you don't you know it used to be that you had to buy all these servers and these backup systems and all this big infrastructure to have the right systems in place but you just don't need that anymore you can just go serverless you don't need these costly data storage devices you can work offline it easily grows with you in terms of Nexa Law, I think you did you start with one license originally, Elliot? And yeah, we did, yeah, one license. I think we got about sixty-five now or something. Yeah, it's just incredible. And you know, again, if you were to look at an older model, so if you go back twenty years, you would have had to keep upgrading server infrastructure, all these things to try and keep that up and have all these huge costs you know, with that growth compared with just adding users, buying a laptop and adding Office 365 and, and you're set to go. The other things, you know, with the infrastructure side is Mercedes said time is not something that you're necessarily going to have when you're in the thick of it and you don't really want to be using that time doing tasks manually where software can automate processes and putting data in to lots of different places where that should just fluidly flow through it. So things like producing documents and sending emails, you know, names and addresses and all that kind of stuff, matter details should be pulling through. Small things, but it all adds up in terms of time. And you know, by doing that as well, you can obviously reduce the cost basis per, per matter that you're working on, regardless of the model you choose. So you know, those are some of the things that we suggest that you think about as part of that, that whole startup process. One thing I didn't mention, which I do think was is important, is when we wrote our website, we actually spent a week in Spain and we decided we were going to write our website, but we started with our values because we decided that although we'd done this before as an exercise when we'd been partners in other firms, without setting up our own firm, we needed to understand what we were about and, and how to communicate that to our clients. And so we spent some time working out what was important to us and what our values were, and then we built the website website around those values so that we could communicate effectively with our clients and then that really has also influenced our recruitment process because we had a very clear vision of what we are and what we're about and what's important to us and we can test any recruitment and any business decisions that we make against our core values and, and although I've been involved in those processes before I think when it's your own firm I mean they really are your values and, and that is really very important. And then one thing I'd say as well is not to be put off too much by the naysayers, that there will always be a lot of people that will tell you not to do it and they will think of reasons why it won't work and will almost want to see you fail. I mean, obviously, don't give it a go if you haven't got you know the expertise or the skills or the, the nouse to do it. I mean, I, I found the very best lawyers sometimes that I've come across would really struggle to run a law firm. You know, they're amazing lawyers, but they're not necessarily business-minded people. So it's not for everybody, but don't be put off just by people saying, oh, it's hard, it's complicated. You know, if, if you apply yourself and, and get on with it, you will, I think you'll succeed. 
it is hard work and it can be stressful however it's also amazing <laughs> it's very liberating and I don't know of many any people who would say anyone say well I wish I hadn't done it because I think generally what people say is well it is really hard work and I probably didn't have a realistic idea of how challenging it might be but I've got absolutely no regrets whatsoever I think that is a really great place to stop. I think that's a terrific thought to go forward with. I'd like to say thank you to all three of you, to Jarvis, to Elliot and to Mercedes for everything that you've contributed today. It's been quite fascinating. To everybody watching, if you want to follow up on any aspect of this discussion, contact us on info at leap.co.uk. I hope that you watching have enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Stay well, stay positive and thank you for watching. Okay.